Well, as Alexis said, that is our sister church in Juarez, and every year, a couple times a year, we go down there and we work and serve, and I thought it was fitting to show that as just this new habit, this last habit in our series called Habits is called Serving. And so our, our ball here, our, what did I call it? I don't even remember what I called it, this gyro ball of habits is complete with serving on here. As God has showed us through the Bible, these different habits that we're supposed to be having in our lives. Now, a couple weeks ago, Carlos, Larry, myself, we went to this pastor's retreat, and they, they told us to go into this circle and to pray over each other. And so we're in this circle. By the way, Carlos and Larry are not in my circle. You'll know why that's important in just one second. And it's going along as most prayer circles go. We're all just in this circle, and we're praying, and each person kind of says what's on their heart, what's going on in their life, and we're, you know, lifting each other up. And about the second person in, I look down, I'm praying, and I open my eyes, and I see the nastiest feet I've ever seen in my life. I look down at these things. I mean, the ones that are on the screen are not. Those are pretty feet. The ones I were looking at had scabs, and the nails were going in all different directions and dirt. I'm like, those are so disgusting. I, I couldn't even remember who I was praying for at that point. And so I was thinking, as I'm looking at these feet, I can't take my eyes off of it. It's like a wreck at this point. I was thinking about the story of Jesus washing feet, and I thought, Jesus, was any of the feet that bad? And I just, I just kept going over this story going, all right, so this time period, it's, it's the no paved roads time period, and you got your animals, you know, doing what they do all the time on these roads, and you're walking along in these thin sandals, and then you don't bathe as often as we bathe today, and there's probably not these fungi-fighting medicines, so I just thought, Man, there's some bad stories in the Bible. Like, there's one about some kids getting mauled by bears. There's another one where half the world gets destroyed in a flood. But there's no story worse than these washing feet story in which Jesus has to look at these disgusting... I'm being facetious. Those stories are worse. But still, it's so gross. And yet, God uses this story to show what we're supposed to do when we serve. And I just thought about it and looked deeper and deeper into it. And I realized when Jesus says this, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Everyone in that room would have been immediately moved by it because they'd understand what he's saying. They'd understand the servant's jobs, the jobs that the servant would do, like washing the feet when you walked into these rooms. And yet when he steps up in that moment, gets up from the meal, puts this this towel around his waist and begins washing the disciples' feet, it would have stunned them. They would have all been like, what are you doing? In fact, the scripture tells us it's exactly what they said. And then he gets to this next verse. And this is the top of the notes in your bulletin. So pull out your bulletin, and if you're near the aisle, pass the pens down so you can make some notes. But look at this verse very closely at the top of your notes. Now that I, your Lord and teacher have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. So if everyone will, could you go ahead and take off your shoes and your socks this morning? 
Just kidding. <laughs> Luckily, that's not a very common thing in our society today. But let's dig into this and see what God's talking about. There's a couple of key phrases I want to push into. The first one is, what I do, you do not realize now, but you will understand hereafter. He understands that they don't understand what he's doing. They're expecting an earthly kingdom. They're expecting Jesus to step up and to start a new kingdom with him as the king. And kings don't wash feet. Servants do. So this is all very just blowing their mind in the moment of what is he doing? Kings don't wash feet. But what Jesus was wanting them to understand is that, yes, teaching and preaching will be one way in which the message of God will go out to this world. But another way will be the washing of feet, the way we serve others. And then when people see the way we serve, they're going to be blown away by this gospel. They're going to see it not only through teaching and preaching, but the way in which we serve. Now understand this isn't literal. This is not you going out and begin washing everyone's feet in your neighborhood, just saying, hey, I'm here to wash some feet. It's not culturally relevant to do that. So what this habit is, is the habit of serving. How do we serve others? And I'll use the phrase washing feet to encompass the jobs a servant would do. Because we are called servants of our Lord. We are the representations of him in the way that we serve. The next key statement I want to look into is it says this. Truly, truly, I say to you, a slave is not greater than his master, nor is one who is sent greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, you're blessed if you do them. Jesus wanted them to understand that he knew they would never wash each other's feet unless he first showed them, that he first showed them in his own actions. So we need to serve people like Jesus served. If Jesus, the Son of God, the ultimate creator, the incarnate, the creator of the universe, would so humbly go around to his disciples and wash their feet. How can we, the servants of our Lord, so easily forget this habit? Jesus himself said, we would be blessed if we served others. Therefore, it is a habit. It's a habit that we must include every day in our lives. This habit is one that's almost non-existent in Christians. And the reason is, is we relegated it to this once-a-month event that we'll do at the other side of town, or this once-a-year event in which we will go to another country and do these amazing things. Now, I'm not saying anything's wrong with that. In fact, you should be involved in those things. But what we're talking about today is a habit that was done daily, this habit of washing of feet. Your feet were so dirty in this time period that there was a basin there for every time you walked into a home, you were supposed to wash your feet. And there was a servant there willing to do it for you in wealthier homes. And so how many times a day do you think this happened? Almost every time you'd walk into a home, you would wash your feet. So he's showing them an action that is something that you would do daily, if not multiple times a day. Here's the key point. It's in your notes. We probably serve, but is it really a habit in our lives? Like, this is a great church. I'm constantly bragging that this church has one of the highest percentage of people serving. You serve. 
You go to these mission trips. You're, you're blessing people all the time. It's incredible. But is it a habit in your own lives that you're actually doing daily? You see this popping up in your daily walk with God. The washing of feet, the serving of others. How often were the feet washed in Jesus' culture? The answer is, I just said it, it was a daily thing, if not multiple times a day. So Jesus does something that would have been a habit very common in the world around him. What is that in your world? If Jesus is the ultimate example of this, how can we follow in his footsteps? Because Jesus takes the daily serving thing all the way out into which he is now dying on a cross for our sins. And he is being the ultimate sacrifice for those around him. But he does it in a way in which he shows daily to all the way to the end that I am going to serve and we are supposed to follow. It's one of the reasons Philippians writes this. Notice this in Philippians chapter 2, 1 through 8. Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ... If Christ is the encouragement, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection or compassion make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves." This is, this is the example that Jesus sets that we're supposed to follow. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, and being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Can we follow this example? Can we be Christ-like? If we're going to be Christ-like, then we need to follow his example. It's something that would bring honor to others. It's something that you would do daily in your service to bring honor to others. We often think that serving is something you do at church or serving is something you do when you go to the bad neighborhoods. But that is not the example Jesus gives us. It should start showing up in every aspect of our life. It begins in our home. How are we serving our family? How can you wake up with the thought process of I want to humbly serve my spouse? How can I humbly serve my children? my neighbors, my coworkers, and imagine if I started thinking about the stranger. Just imagine if you took a few moments each morning to think through the way in which I will show this habit. I will show Christ through my service of others today. If at night you do your devotions, you've got your notepad out, and you begin to think about, all right, tomorrow I'm going to serve in these ways. Or if you wake up and you do devotions in the morning, in the morning you said, I want to live out this habit. How can I serve today in every aspect of my life? What would that begin to look like? You begin to write down all the things that you can wash the feet in the way you serve others throughout the day. There's bullet points in your notes of different things. I want you to begin to think about, all right, how can I serve that person and that person and that person? How can I begin to add this into my daily habits with God? 
and then start recording what God does with that. If you do do devotions in that way at night or in the morning, record what happened the day before. Because here's what I think will happen in your life. You're going to connect with God and deepen your faith. See, all the way through the habit series, it's been the same two phrases. These habits will connect you to God and deepen your faith. If you will begin to serve, it won't be, it will show a lot of Christ to other people, but it will be more about you and what God does in you. And it will connect you to him and it will deepen your faith. We always think about the inconvenience of serving when the reality is God wants you to know him in such a way, in such a way that you go deep with him. And in your acts of serving, you go deep with God. One of my all-time favorite movies is Black Hawk Down. Incredibly violent, so I feel bad suggesting it here at church, but it is an amazing movie. And it, it grips me several times. It's a true story. I think most movies I really like are true stories. And this one is about a war in Mogadishu um, in, I believe, 1993. We're fighting this warlord, Mohammed Farai Idid. Now, I'm not going to get into all the details of why we're there and this war and just how ridiculous it was. But there were two moments that are true parts of this story that every time they come on, it would just grab me. The first is they're outnumbered. I should probably say there's a Black Hawk that goes down, and then the army men that are there are trying to get to that Black Hawk and free the pilot, but they're so outnumbered. It's like 20 versus 20,000 coming against them. And so the first time they try and get to the helicopter, they're just, the Humvees going in just get destroyed, and several people lose their lives. So they go back to base. And in this moment, what happens is they get to the base, they clear it out, they wash out the blood, they reload, they jump back in the Humvees, and they go right back into the war. And it just grips me every time, just like they know they're outnumbered. Like by 20,000 times, they're outnumbered. But they're not going to leave that man behind. They get back to that Blackhawk. And the other gripping moment for me, and it, it, it hurts a little bit, but there's a helicopter flying over the top with two snipers in it. And they're sniping to try and keep people off the helicopter that's downed. But the snipers say, put us down on the ground so that we can protect our fallen soldier better. And the commander says, do you realize what you're asking? You know, there's two of you, and they're just surrounded by thousands and thousands of enemy combatants. And they say, yes. And the commander says, I'm going to need you to say it before I can do it. And they say, put us down in the battle so that we can protect our fellow soldier. And so they do it. And they go down there, and they do protect him. And the pilot does get out, but they lose their lives in the process. Spoiler alert, I should have said that first. But here's, here's the point. And I, I hate the movie and love it at the same time. The point is sometimes there's these moments where we go above and beyond the call of duty to serve those around us. We sometimes have to go outside of our comfort zones, if you will, and we need to serve our brothers and sisters when the odds are far against us, when the price seems too high. What bothers me is why is it that soldiers are willing to die for each other, but Christians, they will not even be inconvenienced at times to serve one another. That is what grips me. I had a, a friend 
and I actually like this guy a lot, that literally said to me one time as I asked him to do something, you know, I just don't want to be inconvenienced. I thought it was such a weird phrasing. I just don't want to be inconvenienced. This is, this is a true story of what he actually said to me. And I go, inconvenienced? You don't want to be inconvenienced by serving someone else? And then I punched him. No, I'm just kidding. I'm... <laughs> it's, it's just, as Christians, I, I actually do hear this a lot. And when we're pulled into something that's difficult, especially when the odds are against us, like serving, there's many times when you serve, when you look around and go, what is this going to do? This isn't even putting a dent into the actual issue of that area. What's the point to continue to throw resources or my own time into this? It just continues to go on and on and on. Why would I continue to do this? The, the odds are so far against us to even do anything here, and they don't really even appreciate it. All these excuses run through our mind. When the point is to connect with God and deepen our faith. We wear these, these platitudes on our wrists sometimes of what would Jesus do? We have these things that we walk around with, and the truth is if you have to ask that question, then you haven't read his book. He tells you exactly what to do, and then he shows you through his actions. He literally shows us exactly what he wants us to do. He's there washing the disciples' feet. The true thing that we should probably be having on our wrist is what would blank do? Insert your own name there. I won't say blank, but what would David do? But you can't put that. You know, I don't want you to say that against me. You have to put your own name. What would insert your name do? And if the answer is not similar to what Jesus would do, then you have an issue. That's when you're missing the point. God has told us and showed us exactly what to do. If you went door to door and began asking strangers, about Jesus, even those that would call themselves atheists, those that would say, I don't really believe in Jesus. If you ask them, well, what do you think about Jesus? What are they going to say? I've done it before. The answer is always about this person who served and loved and went way beyond and just cared about others. It's all of these action things that they, they did that so surprised the world because of the way he served. We know who Jesus is. People who aren't religious know what Jesus did. People that don't like Christians in church like Jesus because they know what Jesus did. So if we want to have anything on our wrist, it should be what would, what would blank do? What would your name do? And does it look like Jesus? Have you ever explored this question? Why did Jesus live on the earth as long as he did? After all, didn't he come to die on a cross for our sins and then rise from the dead and so that we could spend eternity with him? That should take about a week. In fact, we celebrate that on Easter week, right? Or maybe a year. He has to set it up. But why is he here for so long? Why is he here for 33 years if all he really needed to do was die on a cross for our sins so that we can spend eternity with him. Why does he have to experience sunburns and sore throats and all the miseries of life? Why does he have to experience the death of his friends, the death of family members? Why does he have to put up with that daily walking on those streets with dirty feet, the long roads, the long days, the short tempers? 
a normal family that's a little bit crazy at times, a regular job, the journey to gain friends and followers. Why does he have to do all of that? The answer is he wanted to give us an example and also know that he has been there and lived that life. The life that he's asking you to do, he's also done. In fact, we're told to have confidence because we serve a high priest who's experienced all that we have. In Hebrews 4, it says this, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. He wants you to trust him as he calls you to go beyond the norm in the way you serve. And why can he call us to that? Because he did it first. Like washing feet in this particular culture where only servants did it, he's saying, do those things that would serve others, and it's not normal for you to do it. Go beyond yourself to serve. In John 19, it says, Jesus, knowing that all things had already been accomplished to fulfill the scripture, said, I am thirsty. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. His final acts on earth are of a thirsty man serving others. So we know that Christ came to live this perfect life, to die on the cross, to pay the penalty for our sins, rise from the dead, beat death once and for all so that we can experience eternity with him. But 33 years A thirsty man, someone who has that same thirst issue that we do when they serve, he also came to show us the life we should be living. Let's look at it a different way. Look at John 11, 17, where it says this. Martha then said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Now, to her credit, she goes, yeah, I know. My brother will be in heaven, and I will see him again. And Jesus is like, no, no, not only will you do, not only will you see him in heaven, we're going to raise him from the dead right now. And then he does. Now, here's what I find so interesting, and I want to talk to Lazarus about this. Can't wait to have this conversation. Were you a little angry? Were you kind of mad that he brought you back to this world? I mean, weren't you in heaven at that point? Or were you in that waiting place? Well, I got to talk, I got to, talk to him about it. Because Jesus knows heaven's better. So he's pulling Lazarus from heaven to come back. Why? Well, it seems to be to care about what Martha cares about. That's fascinating. Your God cares about what you care about, cares about what your neighbor cares about, cares about things that your stranger that you don't know cares about. And then he does stuff about it. That's fascinating, that he would do this action because it meant something to Martha, that he would do a miracle so that Martha would feel better and that people in that room would see God in a different way. Now, here's the difference. If you haven't heard anything else I've said, really come into this moment. Here's the difference. Then Jesus left and sent the Holy Spirit to dwell within us. The difference is 
now we're supposed to be doing those actions. The Holy Spirit dwells in us. The miracles are no longer going to be God and Jesus showing us these miracles. No, the Holy Spirit dwells in us so that we live out who Christ is. We show those miracles. And how do those miracles show up? In the way we serve. He wants us to step up and follow like Jesus did and show actions like Jesus did. Because the Holy Spirit is in us, we now represent Christ, and the world sees Jesus through us. He cares about what you care about, what your friends care about, what the stranger cares about. I heard an illustration one time. It was this three-year-old boy named Brandon, and he sees his dad eating a chocolate chip cookie, and he thinks, you know what my dad really likes? Milk. He likes to have milk with his chocolate chip cookies. So he goes into the kitchen, and he grabs a stool, and he drags it across the floor over to where the glasses are, leaving a scratch all the way, goes up to the glasses, which are high, opens and throws, you know how our kids leave all of the cabinets open? Yeah. He opens the cabinets, grabs the glass. Of course, a few have to drop and break on the ground as he's got his glass. Then he puts the glass on the ground, and he goes to the fridge, throwing the fridge open, certainly hurting those doors. Doesn't grab the half gallon. No, he grabs the gallon of milk, this three-year-old, and begins trying to pour it in that glass in the crown. And there's milk everywhere. And he's excited, puts the milk on the ground, fridge is open, grabs the glass, goes into his dad, running in, saying, Dad, I got you something, trips, throws the milk at his dad, so his dad is covered in milk. And the boy looks back, seeing the kitchen destroyed, glass broken all over the ground, dad with milk all over his face. And the boy just kind of thinks, oh, dad, I'm sorry. What are you going to do to me now? But his dad smiles, like I think we would too, to our three-year-old who's trying to do something special for us. And the dad says, I love you, Brandon. I love you. Thank you for this glass of milk. It kind of reminds me of the time my youngest was helping mom make cookies. We have a picture of it. This is my youngest helping mom. So sweet. And you look at that, well, maybe you don't, but I look at it and you just love that girl. She's got flour all over her face, but we don't care. All we see is this girl that wants to help mom make cookies. And I kind of see our God this way. God's up there going, just try. Yeah, we're going to mess up. People are going to misinterpret our, our serving of them. I hear it all the time. The reason you're serving is because you want us to come to church. Or you, there's always this sort of like uh, frustration in serving at times. Do it anyway. Continue to try. Not knowing what the results will be. Not knowing what they're going to think about you. Not knowing if you can solve all the problems of the world. God is still up there saying, oh, I love you. I love you even if you mess up. You try and serve and you actually mess it up. That's okay. I love you because like that child, I see you serving and loving me when you do it. John 13, 35 says, by this all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. John 15, 10 says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. It shows love 
when we serve. You know, there's nothing I wouldn't do for my children. There's nothing that they will ever do in life that will stop me from loving them. Even if they become the worst and they're in jail, I'll still visit them in jail and I'll still love them, right? I don't really want them to be in jail, but I would still love them. Do I feel the same way about friends? Eh, some. Do I feel the same way about strangers? Probably not. And yet scripture, God tells me what I do for the least of these in my life, I have done for him. It should be a wake-up call when we read verses like that. We are showing Christ how we serve the least of these, the strangers. We go beyond ourselves to the inconvenience, to the struggles. Maybe someone who doesn't deserve it, someone who doesn't care if you do it, but it's not about them. It's a habit that draws you closer to God and deepens your faith. Matthew 4, 18 is this journey where Jesus is pulling in disciples. And he says, I saw two brothers, Peter and Andrew, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Then two other brothers, James and John, mending of nets. And he called them and they immediately left their nets and followed him. Now think about who these people are. Fishermen, normal men and women like you and I. People who are just supposed to continue the family business. Some that have wild tempers. Others are called sons of thunder because they're so wild. And yet, God calls them and says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. He's calling the normal. He's calling you and I and saying, follow me. Follow my actions and serve others. We can do anything through Christ who strengthens and dwells within us. Does it get you excited? Are you excited when you hear this? That we can be like Jesus in everything we do. You know what happens when we start to do this? Moses stands up before Pharaoh and says, let my people go. Noah builds a big ark when it doesn't make sense, puts animals in it. The world mocks him. They call him a fool, and he does it anyway. Daniel prays, even though he knows he'll be thrown into the lion's den. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they don't bow, even knowing it means a fiery furnace. Jesus stands up to the world and says, I am the way, the truth, and the light, even if it means the cross. Whatever may be holding you back, God is calling you to be a world changer. He's calling the normal, like you and I, and he's saying, begin with your actions, the habit of serving. And if you will do this, you will connect to God and deepen your faith. Every one of these habits will connect you to God and deepen your faith. If you don't know where to start, I do suggest the church. There's a table that's outside in the courtyard by the baptismum. And I asked all the pastors to say, where do you need someone really bad right now? And so they each put two main things down. So if you're not sure where to start, jump into those. We want everyone to have the opportunity to serve. We know it's not just in the church. It's also outside of this place. So I'm going to finish this, this day with a prayer walk. So at the bottom of your notes, there's five areas we want you to pray. We're going to do something a little different because we want you to begin to think about the community, both in this place and out of this place. So as we close the service, Carlos is still going to come up, do announcements in the giving time. But after that, the band is going to dismiss you in, as they worship out these doors today. And what we, we want you to do is to do a prayer walk as you end today. You walk out here. 
and there's a playground. Actually, there's a dirt hole, but someday, very soon, there's going to be a playground there. And what we want you to do is, as you're looking at the playground in your notes, it says this, pray for all the children in our community to hear the message of Jesus Christ. And as we serve, with all the different ways we serve, that more children would hear about Christ. And then you keep walking down, and that's the barbecue area. And as you look at the barbecue, pray for all the healthy marriages and healthy families that will be served in our community, both here and in our own actions. How will we see more marriages healed and more families healed because of the actions of our serving, the habit of serving? And then you keep walking, and then you get to the basketball court. This one represents all the young adults in our community. We want to reach the young adults. How can we serve to reach them more? And also, I add another one there saying, pray for the young adults of our church to begin stepping up and taking all the leadership roles. We want that. We want more leaders from our young adults. And then go into the courtyard. You'll start to mingle. But pray as in your, when you're in the courtyard that this church will be a guiding light of love, hope, and refuge to our community. There's people that are going to come onto this campus that are hurting. And then as we serve beyond this campus to the hurting, pray that we'd be a, a church, a group of people, a light, a hope, and a refuge. And then finally, near the baptismal, there's a serve table. And you may already have a service position, so pray for those who don't, that would find a place to serve. Those first impression ministries those ways in which our community will be reached because of our habits. And if you don't have a place you're serving, I encourage you today to get one of those places. Let's pray together. Father, we come before you right now and just thank you. I thank you, Lord, that you would show, you would blow the minds of those around you by showing what serving really looks like. And I pray, God, that we would begin to blow the minds of this community by the way we serve them. That we would not only be a church that invites them in, but we would be a church that goes out and serves in a way that shows you. God, I just thank you, Lord. I thank you for your scripture. I thank you for these people. I thank you for the gift that you now dwell in us so that we can represent you in our actions. So God, we give you this habit this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.